coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, once again, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And I've got somebody in the, quote, studio with me in the toilet in the can to tell me some fantastic stories. So uh, tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> you you <laughs> no. are a fucking asshole. Yeah. No, but seriously. <laughs> Started out is, with uh, truth. <laughs> my name is Goraz Lach. Uh, friends call me Nitka. Uh I'm a Slovenian skydiver, and, well, that's the first introduction. You'll get to know more later. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, so um, the name again, Goraz. Goraz, yeah. But people know you by Nitka. Nitka, okay, yeah, Nitka so is my nickname. Where did Nitka come from, and what does it mean? Uh, Nitka basically uh, means a threat. So, <laughs> like, like a, not a threat, but a thread. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Din, Din's laughing because he knows my Slavic accent and yeah, pronunciation. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 it's a thread. So, yeah, uh, basically, I was pretty crazy and wild kid and uh, did many, many stupid things. <laughs> and my life hang on a thread for many times. So, my, my friends started to call me Nitka. I did not know that. That's a fucking great story. Yeah. Your life was hanging by a thread. Yes, that sounds Many about times, right. That yeah. sounds about right. So you're a professional skydiver. You have been for quite some time. You're Slovenian, although I always fuck with you and call you a Russian because I know it <laughs> pisses Russian. you because I know it pisses you <laughs> off. So um for 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 the Americans that are listening along that don't understand why uh Slovenian being called Russian would piss them off, briefly tell me why. Well, this is kind of like I would call you Nicaraguan or something. You know, it's uh, three, four thousand miles of distance between border of Russia down to Slovenia. But basically, I think Americans now should know um, where Slovenia is because the first lady is Slovenian. So, you know, here you go. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> she she absolutely is. I, yeah. I can't deny that. All right. I, I know her personally. You do? Yeah, I met her a couple of times when she wait, was Wait, wait, still... do you know her? Like... No, no, I just know her. I don't know her, know her. I just know her. All I right. spoke with her a couple of times, but I was like 20-something years ago. Oh, fair on enough. some events. So this is about home. the time she was uh, doing the, the, the Playboy spreads and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she did Playboy, but um, yeah, she was a model. Um, and, you know, Slovenia is a pretty small country with less than 2 million people. Yeah. So all the athletes, like the show business scene was very small and we were invited to the same events many times. So oh, that's wow. how I met her a couple of times. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, so back to uh, uh, back to the, the normal subject of the podcast is doing crazy shit. So you got nicknamed Nitka because your life was always hanging by a thread. Yeah. So I'm imagining that skydiving was just the latest thing that you did. How did what did, what what started the whole extreme sport dangerous shit for you? Oh yeah, skydiving. I started to skydive quite kind of late in my life. So, so you were doing was, crazy shit as a kid. When though. I was 21, basically, I started skydiving. Although all my all my teammates, we're gonna get back to to that later. Mm. Started with 16, but yeah. Um, I was born in very, very uh, sportive family. My both parents are also very kind of crazy. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, they met each other on the judo uh, competition. Oh, wow. They okay. were both judoists. Yeah. All right. Um, that was still back when Slovenia was part of Yugoslavia. Okay. 
uh, back in the that, those times. And uh, um, yeah, like you know, sports uh, were basically every day of our lives since big beginning, since I was born, and mm. then and then it just went into the more and more. Like you know, I started to ski. We had a we had a cottage on the on on the ski slope. I started to ski when I was two years old, mm. and climb a little bit on the rocks around our weekend house and things like that. And um, then my mom's Croatian. I was sailing and scuba diving with super young age as well, and it was just continuously growing. I found out adrenaline and and the excitement pretty soon in my life, mm. and I just kind of stuck with me nice nice now how did that transition into jumping out of airplanes um i was always into flying i wanted to be a fucking pilot like you did <laughs> <laughs> well i am a pilot but not professional like like, like sure, you are sure um so um basically around age six seven eight um i started to pursue alpine skiing okay so um that became my my primary sport although i was also doing other sports like gymnastics judo um, um, scuba diving and other stuff but skiing was kind of my primary sport from age six to to 18 and a half 19 oh wow when i got injured i was doing that professionally um and um uh, what what was the word? I forgot. You injured you so you injured yourself skiing, and so that kind yeah, of yeah, took, yeah 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 uh, took yeah. you out of the career. Yeah, that took me out. I had a really really bad fall on a downhill uh, training. Um, kept me in the hospitals for two and a half years. Holy um, shit! Fourteen major surgeries. Basically, I was all broken. My whole body except my left arm was kind of <laughs> survived the fall. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I spent three months in the hospital. All in the plaster. Oh, body cast. Yeah, body cast. Fucking yeah, yeah. hell. Thanks for help. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, um, I came in the hospital with uh, 86, 87 kilograms, which is what? 160 pounds probably for uh, Americans? No, that's like 185. 185. Yeah. And I came out with 55 kilograms. Holy shit. So 30, 30 kilograms, like 60 pounds. Yeah, man. Of atrophy wow in those three months and then the doctors told me that um there's no chance for me to be an athlete or whatever that i can just forget about them sure but me being stubborn as i am i proved them wrong so how i came to skydiving when i was 16 years old that's the minimum age to start flying back home sure uh, I, I i did the course for the glider uh plane air uh, okay for the glider plane pilot so i started to fly glider planes and then with 18, I started to fly single engines like Cessna 150, 172, things sure, like that. Sure, sure. And then at one point, um, my home is really close to Lake Blade drop zone. Basically, it's a really beautiful airfield. Okay. Um, with, a, with a really great history. First uh, World um, Parachuting Championship was held there in 1951 or two. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Um, and then the tenth, twenty years old uh, later, and 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 the twentieth in the ninety one, I think. Mm. Um, and at one point, I was watching skydivers there, you know, um, doing the trainings. And um, well, the that drop zone was basically mostly was the base of the Slovenian uh, national team. And at those times, you know, it was supported by the army. 
to for, for competition. So it was classical uh, parachuting. Okay. It was uh, accuracy style and four way. Sure. Um, but you know, I was flying there and I was watching them. And at one point, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna try this." You know, I need to try this. Right. And you know. I did my first jump actually when I was 16 with the round canopy, just with the rescue canopy, because that was that was necessary to get a, a, a glider plane license. Wow! You had to do one static line jump with a round canopy from the Antonov too. Okay. So that was my first. I mean, it was it was a jump, it was not a skydive. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Still though, basically that's... no control almost with with the canopy and anything, but but it got me thinking, and then um, yeah. That's cool. Then I started to skydive and I got hooked and, you know, it's been 27 years since then. Yeah. Well, so when you first started the, I mean, you, you had to do the, the initial jump when you were starting out trying to learn how to fly and all that stuff. And, and then you decided, all right, well, maybe this is something worth pursuing. Did you do like a classic AFF? Was it? Uh, um... No, 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 no. It was, uh, it was a static line course. We okay. didn't had, uh, we didn't have AFF course. Then. Okay. It was a round canopy course. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Altogether, all I have over 200 round canopy jumps. Wow. Yeah, I I've, I've saw one once. <laughs> <laughs> So, and <laughs> once. yeah, well, okay. we, we used to have this guy that would come out and jump in uh, uh, Chicagoland that uh, would occasionally jump around parachute. And for me, the coolest thing in the world with a round parachute was trying to see how well I could spot because uh, I was working as the pilot, of course. So it was just trying to, but that's it. That's literally all the experience that I have with a round parachute. Yeah, those were the days when, when actually Scott Iwers had to think once they opened the parachute, um, even before they jump out. They need to think where they're gonna jump out so the wind will bring them to the yep. to the spot. Not now, like you know, no one even sticks a head out to check where the spot is. They just trust a fucking pilot <laughs> when the green light is, and they just jump out. And then it's like, whoa, where am yeah, I? <laughs> days, days of GPS, that's for sure. And yeah. you hope you hope you have a pilot that doesn't have a good sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not this one. Yeah, depending on where you're jumping, anyway. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. That. So what did uh, what did mom and dad think when you wanted to start jumping out? airplanes uh well actually mom was uh was living just uh two kilometers from the from the drop zone and she wanted to 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 skydive when she was like my age oh, at, cool. at that time 16 17 18 19 cool but her parents thought that it's not um it's not safe enough and it's sure. not uh, like a ladylike sport that was <laughs> like in 1960s so she kind of couldn't, um, but so I got all the support, you know. Nice, nice. So she was all about it. Now, yeah. I mean, were they were they nervous because you just spent so much time in the hospital having <laughs> fucked yourself up from from skiing? I mean, <laughs> no, man, that was, you know, my both parents worked in the hospital. You know, like one anecdote from from that is like they brought me. That was a couple of years before that major injury. Mm. They brought me with a torn um, left ACL and and a couple other things. They brought me to the hospital uh, from the ski race, and, and and I was lying there in front of the X-ray division um, on on this how do you call it stretchers? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I could hear my mom walking. I I could recognize her kind of very military walk. My mom is very strict. Tum 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 tum. I knew it was my mom, so she passed my my stretcher, and I'm like, "Hey, mom!" And she turns around, and she's like, "Oh, you again?" And she doesn't say anything. She just takes my chart that was hanging on that stretcher, right? And she reads it, 
And she's like, oh, it's nothing serious. I don't have time for this shit now. See you later. And she just went, <laughs> continue her own business. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny over the years in jumping now, uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with quite a few people from uh, your region of the world. And when I say your region of the world, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eastern I, Europe. Kind yeah, of, yeah. So you say Eastern Bloc, and I, I actually <laughs> don't, I try not to say that too much because I've pissed off more than a few people <laughs> from that general area. Not fucking Eastern Europe. But. Well, let's just say Eastern Europe, just <laughs> just this time to, to generalize. And it's funny because uh, Eastern Europeans have a reputation for just being very tough, tough motherfuckers, yeah. man. It's uh, that's the running joke for every drop zone that I've worked at. That's got Eastern Europeans or Russians working is that uh, machines. <clears throat> somebody thumped themselves into the ground. Oh, are they okay? Oh, it's Russian. Oh yeah. He's oh, fine. he's fucking yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, no, it's a compound <laughs> fracture, but he's on the next load. <laughs> right. Well, if it gets that serious. No, but yeah, I I think we're just not used to moan too much or, 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 or complain too much. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, probably that's how we were brought, you know, the... Um, is it Everything was super expensive in those times. Sure. So, you know, you couldn't go to doctor just <laughs> for medical. a headache or this and that, you know? <laughs> Including and medical care. <laughs> too, I mean, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Not no, actually expensive because, you know... I'm 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 simplifying this thing a little bit because Slovenia when I was a kid was still part of Yugoslavia which was a communist country it was a socialist country mm. but we were we never belonged to the to the to the um eastern bloc sure uh, it was independent country it was kind of a buffer zone between uh eastern bloc and the NATO like we bordered to Italy and Austria and and those countries and uh, we were even in the verge of being occupied by Russia in the 60s and mm. in the 70s because we wouldn't kneel down in, you sure. know, uh, and, and, and like support them in many things. And the school system and the healthcare system and everything is like, I don't know, Americans probably know now like Cubans, you know, mm. they have amazing school system. They sure. have amazing healthcare system. Everything is free for everyone. And same was like this. But I don't know. In I think it's it's historical more that just I don't know. Slavic people they they know how to deal with pain. They know how to deal without food for a while and sure. things like that. Sure. Um, there was never too much of things, and we never push it out. You know. Sure. Well, and it's always <laughs> it's always interesting, especially coming from my background and especially my country, where uh, people are very busy. You know, bubble wrapping their entire family to make sure nothing yeah, goes wrong. Yeah, we and were it's... we were never in a bubble or yeah, things like know, that. Everybody's uh, helmets and pads and this and that, which is. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, protecting your kids is a good thing. But I also, I came from a generation where you'd hop on a skateboard and grab the leash of the biggest fucking dog you could, <laughs> yeah. and they would drag you at full speed across concrete where you might accidentally plow into a steel pole that was, you know, your jungle gym hanging over concrete. Yeah. You know. It, I had those. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and we survived that shit. So it's, it's. Uh, um, I always thought it was very interesting, especially as, as I've been able to travel the world and work with so many different cultures. That the further Eastern Bloc you get, the just the tougher people fucking get. <laughs> yeah, and it's a running joke. It's this. Yeah, no. no I think that gets with with uh, with a, with a status and and with I don't know economical status. Sure, I guess people are tougher if they don't have too much. Yeah, yeah, no, the 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 softer the life, the the more you're risking or the more you're worried about getting yeah. hurt. You know, uh, when... like just when you said like. Uh, 
you would grab the leash of the biggest dog. Yeah. That reminds me on one thing of one of my injuries that didn't happen, <laughs> that happened outside. Uh-oh. So I don't know if you remember that movie. I think it was Burt Reynolds. It, it was called a roller roller braid or something. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. Although I don't know the name they yet. They were it's driving roller, themselves roller around. Derby. Roller derby. Around behind the motor bikes. Yeah, yeah. With the with the spikes on their elbows and yeah. things like that. Yeah, on, yeah. On the, I mean, they were not rollers as we know it now. There was not like inline rollers, but they were four roller skates. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the classical ones. Oh yeah. And they would be driving around with a steel ball and you know try to push that ball into the hole on yep, the other yep. side i remember the movie yeah so probably that movie was in america was in 1975 we've seen it in 1985 back home <laughs> <laughs> but next day all the kids we were down on the on our on our rollers uh, sure and um dragging each other behind the bikes <laughs> with a with, with a handball ball or volleyball sure. ball sure and hitting each other like fucking yeah because it looked like, like a great full. idea yeah and what happened was we were we were going downhill and this guy hit the brake oh shit so i said i i i sat on the rear tire and when i wanted to When I and then the rear tire starts to oh starts shit to, starts to pull my 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 pants inside <sighs> oh no i wasn't worried about me i everything what what was in my head was like oh fuck my mom is gonna fucking kill me because the pants gonna be damaged oh no oh no <laughs> so i went with, with my head down to pull the pants out And I and, and I pushed my wrists between the spikes. Oh Jesus Christ! So basically, every bone on the on the right wrist wrist from from the wrist to the to the last joint of the finger was dislocated and broken. My my hand looked like a fucking stair. Oh no! It was like a stairs. Oh no! No! And then because we lived in the building that was uh, there was basically the 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 staff from the hospital was there. So. Right. I, Everyone knew a little bit about <laughs> about being a doctor, so there was like five kids pulling my hand oh, and tried to put the joints back in. Oh no! And, and that went like for like half an hour, and I was all green already and sweating <laughs> and kind of collapsing almost. And and then finally we went upstairs, and my mom saw that hand and was like, "Yeah, guys are fucking crazy. Let's yep. go to the hospital." Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> so, She must yeah. have been fucking relieved when you decided <laughs> to be a skydiver. Yeah, basically, you know, twenty um, years of skydiving, um, over 20 k jumps, yeah. and um, except of you know, like slight back problem or neck problem at times, and couple of twisted ankles, I didn't have. Any injury? Well, most of that's like, just because you're like, old. Like, no. <laughs> it's just because you're old, like well, me. <laughs> well, I was young too, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I did some pretty crazy stuff in those days. Of course. Well, so I mean, especially in the beginning, when you when you got into skydiving, you went pretty balls out from pretty much the start. And I mean, you ended up um, doing a shitload in regard to competing and and uh, yeah uh, and really really excelling in this. So yeah. Um, I joined. I mean, I did. I did my course, and then the coach uh, spotted me there that I'm like a athlete and very motorical and talented and things like that. And there is a discipline. I don't know. Not many skydivers know that it's called a paraski. So that's a combination between uh, accuracy jumps and uh, giant slalom ski, oh. skiing giant slalom competition, which is held in the winter time. Um, 
the old old guys from the US team will, will know it and accuracy mm. guys will know it but probably all these swoopers and insta skydivers will not right <laughs> right right um but yeah so i started with that and like you know it took me two years and i was already second in the european championship i was pretty good in accuracy and i was really good alpine skier and that's how it started and then it got me in because i saw that you know i can i can build a career on that and and also with that um the i knew that um job will come from the military sure because um all the national teams in europe they are sponsored by military usually mm. so um you know you have a basic salary you're insured everything is covered and all you do is just training and competing which so, is a drastically different from you know what i'm used to which is all out of pocket or if you're lucky you manage to to pull some sponsorship somewhere that helps to kind of cover the bills but i mean so something like this you're combining alpine skiing and, and skydiving exactly how did that type of competition work i mean i've i've personally never heard of that well um it's basically a pretty simple rule um Probably most of you know the accuracy competition with a disc that measures centimeters, how far from the center point you land. And uh, classical accuracy is happening on the, on the, in the drop zone, but this is happening on a ski slope. So, okay. So the whole accuracy target is on at least 30, 30% angle oh, wow. of the slope. So, okay. And then the winds in the mountains are different, you know? Sure. So you almost never land you know uh upwind right so it's always is some some side wind sure. or something so it's super super difficult and and then what happens is like the winner of the giant slalom competition has a handicap zero and then oh. every second every second that you're behind him is 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 translated into four centimeters oh okay so if you're if you're two seconds behind uh after after two runs of giant slalom that means you have a handicap of eight centimeters before the first jump wow okay and so then, it's it's uh it's one affecting the other yeah. that's really kind of cool yeah um uh the history of that discipline is it comes from the switzerland okay yeah All because right. because the skydiver skydiving in switzerland is quite a big sport they mm. have a really long history as well mm. And they were thinking what to do in the winter time, you know. Sure, sure. And no, I can see that. And they came up with that. I think, I, I think around um, nineteen seventy or something was sure. the first first uh, world championship. And U.S. team was actually pretty good, and Canada team was pretty good in the, those early wow. years. All right. But then, with all the commercialization of the skydiving and everything, and you know, everything became skydiving or let's call it parachutism before sure. was pretty much sponsored by militaries and countries from the beginning and sure. then and then it got commercialized a little bit and more and more it 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 became depending on you how much money yeah. you get for yourself yeah you know in the early days the the army or navy or 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 air force would give airplane and equipment and people would come and would jump and things like that and then later that was sure that was sure. all like like Golden Knights team, mm. you know? They used to be a super good team in classical discipline. Sure. Like accuracy style, four-way. I know a lot of guys, you know, from 15, 20 years ago sure. when we were competing together. But then 
suddenly they just decided that they that army will not pay for that anymore mm, and right. they were gone and right. and that's when and since then there are some um some old timers from US sure, sure, still sure. competing in those in sure. those disciplines but we it's it's funny too because I've actually seen I've actually seen some of your footage from uh the style portion yeah um but I, I tell you what I'm gonna make you sell me on this because <laughs> I've I've talked a fair amount of shit about accuracy in the past uh, I've actually jokingly called it about as exciting as watching a helium balloon slowly lose gas <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, but I know you were extremely good at it. I mean, you ended up being quite a, a celebrated champion in style and accuracy to the point where uh, a girl that I had gone out with a couple of times was like fucking excited to meet you. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, you know him? You're a friend of it? Because she was like super stoked because you had done so well with this. So I need you to tell me why I should be excited about accuracy because <laughs> I really have a tough time grabbing on to the well the best thing to explain <laughs> is first you have to know what it takes to really do that sure and, and to be good at it and it's like you know if you're watching a chess game mm. and you don't even know how to fucking move the figures on, sure. on the board it's fucking boring for you sure but if you know how to move the figure figures it gets a little bit more interested sure and then if you read a couple of books about the uh, Kasparo, Korchnoi, the American guy, the young guy, Fisher, yep. Bobby Fisher, yep. things like that. Um, what was going on? Then it becomes a l- even more interesting. Sure. And this is how it's accuracy. It's it's basically it's basic of of skydiving. Sure. You know, anyone can go to the tunnel and f- have hundred hours of flying, and he's ninja in fucking freefall, and then the parachute opens, and they don't know fucking what to do <laughs> sure. with the wind, and they're landing downwinds, and they're landing out of the drop zones sure. and things like that. Well, you know, and I have no doubt that when you're competing in accuracy, I'm sure it's fun because it's a challenge. I have no but doubt. But even, even if you're watching it, you know, in our <laughs> in our drop zone back back home in, in Blit, right. in, in Slovenia, we have uh, annually, it's a, um, it's a world championship uh, competition. Okay. There is a World Cup competition, I'm sorry. It's a world, one of the six World Cup competitions that are held in 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 the uh, mostly European region. Okay, and one of them is held there, and we have like one thousand five hundred people every day watching it. Mm. The oh, whole I don't day, doubt. From don't doubt. from eight o'clock in the morning till the sunset, they are there and watching it. And because the people were educated through the years, what it takes and what the accuracy is about. Sure. About the weather, how precise you have to be, you know, the, the, the center point of the of the disc that measures the distance is two two centimeters. Sure. Yeah, it's teeny. And 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 the winner at the end after eight rounds uh, has zero or one or two centimeters. Right. That means that jumping out of three thousand three hundred feet and landing there on that center for at least eight times. Sure. Which I and I'm I, 
having never jumped accuracy, I'm I can never attest to we how can, we can change that. No, I have I have no. accuracy canopy. I can never <laughs> attest to how difficult uh, that may be, and I have no doubt that it's difficult. But in I suppose in the venue of modern skydiving now, it's difficult to watch uh, classic accuracy and then watching a guy doing zone accuracy on a Petra at God knows how fast and hitting a target not that much bigger than an accuracy target. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think that they're both very difficult, but I you can't fault that uh, watching somebody doing some crazy swoop and hitting that target is more uh, crowd-friendly, I guess. Yeah, it's just more excited because the speed, because of the danger. Of course. You know, course. It's, like, it's like every sport, you know? It's like you have a... You have a Greco-Roman wrestling, which is classical fighting discipline. Sure. Which was one of the major disciplines in Olympic games. Sure. Games, and now they're thinking of kicking it out because it's not interesting for the TV sure. transmissions anymore. Yeah. And all these MMA sports are getting introduced to it sure. because it's rougher, it's bloodier. So, you sure. know, times well, are changing. But, of course. You know, well, and again, uh, I don't think that takes away from the history of it. Obviously, it just, again, and this is just me talking shit. It's just, <laughs> it's back to the helium balloon thing. Now, now that's that That being said, the, the whole style portion of style and accuracy, the style portion I always thought of as very physical because it's very fast paced. It's, it's this crazy body position that you're flying in and shit happens really fast. And you're being judged by a guy that's basically shooting a camera at you from the ground and it's it seems more intense to me that part i can really get into well that was my favorite discipline actually i mean yeah. four-way and style was my favorite uh, discipline i liked i liked accuracy too but um well yeah i, I would prefer style if mm. i if i have to choose just one discipline i would prefer style it mm. was super fast we were wearing i mean the guys still now are wearing um the latex suit. The skin tight you know, suit, the, yeah. The, yeah, it's super tight. You just want to be in a skin tight suit. I know you. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> well, you know, I look yeah. good in it. <laughs> it's, oh, see, there you go. There you go. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. But yeah, you know, the, the speeds were like, you know, 400 kilometers per hour on a head down when you jump out of the plane. You, you, you go into the head dive for about 15 to 17 seconds. Mm. Speed goes up to 400 kilometers, which is, I don't know what that in miles. Fast like. as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Fast, <laughs> Fast as fuck. As fuck. Miles per yeah. hours. Um, and then you go in this small position when you have to pull your knees towards your stomach and your elbows in. And then everything you do um, is just about the rhythm, really fast um, kind of eye-hand coordination because you're watching down... Um, uh, first, I should tell that the jump is done from 7,500 feet. Mm -hmm. So that's not super high. Sure. So you have to go in this dive to gain as much speed as you have as you can because then you can turn faster. Yeah, the speed is more yeah. control and, and faster turns. Yeah, so the style jump is combined by two turns, one back loop or salto, how do you call it? Back loop, yeah. Back loop, yeah. And then two more turns and back loop. So yep. six elements, that's what it counts. The head dive or whatever you can go belly or um, whatever to head get up that or speed. whatever, but it counts from the moment that you start to do that first turn. Right. So seven hundred five, uh, seven thousand five hundred feet below you, there's a big red or yellow dot, and in the middle of that dot is a air 
uh, ground to air camera. Okay. And there is a first judge that records that, and he gives the sign for your exit. You jump out, you go on a head dive, you do these six elements, and then it's basically like 2,500 feet and you have to open. Sure. And you know, in the old days, we were jumping that for, with, with the accuracy canopies, oh, like, like 282 square feet, you know, right. 300 square feet. All right. And the openings were amazing. I bet. You know, that was before the small canopies, sure. high performance canopies were introduced. Oy. So, you know, now just a thing to, to say, I, you know, at the drop zones nowadays, you know, these, all these young guys say, oh, I had a, such a fucking back, bad, bad opening and this. I'm like, dude, yeah, no. are, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't. <laughs> this is like a holiday for me every yeah. day, you know, jumping tandems. No, you fucking didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that was judged like this. And, and then the videotape would go to other five judges that they would do a replay of your uh, video first in the real time. They would measure time. Okay. They would get the um, average time. So I was one of the best in my time in the world doing style. So that means uh, my times were around five seconds, a little bit over five seconds. So that's five seconds to hit all six elements. Yes. Wow. That's so fucking fast. That's a turn, turn, back loop, turn, turn, back loop. And and basically you have to really just you know it was like a boxing like like boxing combinations you sure. know it was just a couple of times you would see this red or yellow dot right and it was just the arm work and legs work and keeping well and when you're in free fall too you're in a very tucked position so it's knees to chest almost yeah, and yeah. you're you're and, and everything is on your palms on your head which and, which are the driving and I'm assuming that's just to maintain that speed because speed's faster turns yeah 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 you have to maintain smaller to maintain that speed and yep, more yep. speed faster Speed's, turns speed yeah. is your friend yeah for sure and then it was just for me at least um I was kind of semi-technical and semi-power mm. so i would be just breathing you know it was like a boxer it was like six elements and for me it was just about the breathing and the rhythm it was just right. like when i went from the head down to this small position and i started the first turn i was basically really doing these noises you know like sure <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and that was it and then i opened and it was boom <laughs> <laughs> and then it was, boom literally <laughs> and then it was 2,000 something feet and that was it yeah well and you did that for quite some time yeah it was like 20 something years Jesus Christ well and then now you also took that uh, the experience and and all the the um, winnings and all the uh, all the hard work and you were able to turn that into being a, a pretty world-renowned coach as well with a lot of different teams. I mean, you've been able to work with teams from all over the world, teaching them very much uh, a lot of accuracy for sure. Cause yeah. that's how you and I met. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I decided I didn't fucking like you at all. Cause you were an yeah. asshole. <laughs> and he was a fucking pilot. Just, just like you I introduced like... yourself, fucking asshole, <laughs> which without getting into the details of that, it was really funny because for whatever reason, you and I did not agree on how things should be done. Uh, as far as your jump runs were concerned. Yeah. That was a clash of the egos. I think. A clash of the egos. <laughs> and when we finally egos. met on the, cause we'd never seen each other face to face. We'd only talked over the radio and I didn't like you and you didn't like me at all. <laughs> yeah. Until we finally talked, and I think our first five words were more along the lines of, boy, you're a fucking dick. Oh, and yeah. First first five words, <laughs> I think we both held the guard up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Because yeah. we didn't know if someone's going to 
charge or not. You're a dick, you're a dick. And then and within five minutes we're like, I like you. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of kind of mad, yeah. It, no, pretty so, much was about that. It was Yeah, basically it was like I was like you know, yeah. I'm a pilot and a skydiver, and I know about a pilot's ego and everything. <laughs> and when I came to the drop zone, I was coaching accuracy um, team. And, uh, you know, for, for accuracy, you're jumping with really big canopies. So so the direction, um, the, the... Yeah, the, the direction of flight. Yeah, the direction of flight is really important. It needs to be into the wind. And most of the drop zone don't do this because of the high-performance canopies. Sure. Um, because you know, with high performance canopy, you can reach the drop zone even if you're not sure flying upwind. Um, and with, with with those big ass canopies, you you have to do it, especially in a strong wind. And where we've met, we had strong winds all the time. So my guys were landing all fucking around, like miles around. I was picking them up with the buggies, mm. and 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 then I was like, dude, I need you to fly. 310, not 260, you know, my guys are landing and he was like, what the fuck, we have this run, you know, and this and that. And <laughs> and then that was my first day at, at the work when we yeah. met. And then finally he had a shutdown for refueling and he came down to the manifest and he was like, where's this fucking coach? And, and I was already there, where's this fucking pilot? <laughs> And there started the friendship right and there. there. Started the friendship, <laughs> pretty much, and it's it, lasting now for six years. Yeah, it was kind of funny because uh, um, uh, we ended up laughing quite a bit because it it almost seemed like uh, right away we found ourselves um, sitting at old man's in oh, yeah. in fucking Changu and Bali, yeah. shooting the shit. Almost <laughs> seemed like it happened like the next fucking week. Uh, in reality, it was six right. months, uh, six or seven months away, and and in that interim, we had become friends to some degree, and and I had voiced a desire to go to Bali, and you're like, well, I think it was even year, two years afterwards. Um, when I finally went, but we started talking about oh, Bali yeah, yeah. relatively soon into it, and you're like, yeah. dude, if you ever go, I've been going there for years. How did you start going to Bali? Um, I was just into surfing. Surfing was one of my, you know, I'm kind of. I, I have a little bit of Croatian blood in me, so the sea, the ocean floats inside of me. The sky, the ocean are both my oh, are both of my elements. Mm. And I was always I was always mesmerized when I was watching those videos of the guys um surfing in Hawaii or Tahiti or sure. things like that. And that was so amazing for me. And then when I had a first chance to surf was in Australia and I had a Basically, my my teacher was Shane Horan, who used to be in the 70s and 80s. He was one of the best surfers, big wave surfers and everything. And we spoke uh, and he said, well, I have a I have a I have a surfing school in Bali as well. And like Indonesia is one of the best waves, you know, and swells and things like that. You have to go there. Mm. And that was like 11 years ago. Um, So that first time that I went to Bali. And I just fell in love with that island, mm. and with with couple of with couple of people who live there. They're my dear friends, and, sure. and then I just uh, kept on coming back. And then yeah, we started to talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you went with another friend first time there. Yeah. And I told you uh, you were super excited, and I told you, well, that's awesome, but you don't know the real Bali. Sure. You have to go with me because I've been going there already for six years, and 
I can introduce you to totally different Bali than oh, you yeah. know is oh, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, did you? <laughs> that, that was exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. You know, it was, it was, I think it was the following year was the first trip there. And uh, uh, that was when my opinion of not just you, but, quote, Eastern Bloc people changed dramatically. <laughs> Because I think uh, it was Junior and I went. And, uh, um, yeah, it was you and Junior and yeah, me. And, and we met up with you in Canggu, and, and uh, we had our little villa, and you were going to show us around a little bit. We had no idea what to expect, and we knew you, but we didn't know you that well. Yeah. Because um, we hadn't really hung out too much. Uh, and so finally we're having an opportunity to hang out. And the very first night we're hanging out <laughs> in Bali, we end up at Old Man's and you introduce us to your close personal friend who you've known for quite some time. Yeah, since uh, my first time there. Yeah, right? yeah. A gentleman by the name of Glenn Arthur, who <laughs> is without a doubt the most unique human being I think I have ever ever met yeah for me too uh, he it's, is he's really unoriginal he's fucking he's hilarious he's got more stories than anybody i've ever met i know this even more than din even more If than you me can believe guys yeah yeah because i i actually happen to be sitting across the table from this guy and and he said something about having a lot of stories and i said well shit let's trade stories i got a bunch as well and he destroyed me yeah pretty much destroyed me but um well i know how he <laughs> destroyed you I, i i can remember the exact line so that destroyed I. you so can i so glenn's gay so let's first say that so, glenn is glenn is flamboyantly gay. yeah yeah exactly and so glenn and dean are competing whose story is gonna overcome <laughs> the other guy's story and that went for like 15-20 minutes and then glenn in this pose with his palms up and like you know like really kind of feminine pose looks at dean and he's like honey you don't have to try so hard i fuck only straight guys <laughs> yeah he he i think the exact words that he he'd said something along, well, along the lines exactly. of you don't have to try so hard and then he says i don't fuck uh uh gay men No, he said, I, I only fuck straight guys. Like, he, he said that you're too gay for him. Yeah, something like that. Well, <laughs> something no, no. like that. And that was the first time I saw Dean speechless. Well, this was... this was. He didn't have any comeback. No, I had There nothing. There was nothing. I had nothing to he say. Well, this was, this was not even... Less than five <laughs> minutes later was when he asked Junior if Junior knew where a man's G-spot was and then told him he'd be happy to show him. <laughs> So <laughs> I didn't know that. That's oh, the first God, time yeah. I heard. Oh, no, it was amazing. So oh, the, the funniest... I can just imagine Junior's face. Oh, yeah, and it was classic. Now, the funniest part about all that was that night wrapped up because we ended up, uh, Glenn took us all to this beautiful Italian restaurant just up the road. We all ate a huge yeah. meal. He gives everybody a hug goodnight, and then he goes off on his decked out little Vespa scooter back home wherever. And Junior and I are scooting back to our little villa that we're staying in at the time going, i think we fucking love this place. <laughs> this, he it, he literally set the tone for that entire trip. And we jokingly, because Junior and I, we've actually talked about it on this podcast when we went to Gilly T that same trip. Yeah. And Junior got attacked by the big red rooster. That's why it became the dodging Cox tour of whatever year it was. <laughs> because the whole thing started out with meeting Glenn, who was, I'm sure he'll be the first one to say, was going over the top trying to be a little extra gay just to fuck with the, <laughs> the clearly two straight guys oh, that were yeah, coming to hang out. He's super smart guy. Oh and my and God. He loves to tease and he loves to poke on the right places. And yeah, well, and he's, then amazing, was... he's amazing human being. He's amazing human humanitarian there. 
and everything. And oh, he's incredible. He's I incredible. Just, I just love him. Yeah. Well, for... the, I think my favorite story of of him was talking about uh, uh, David Bowie. He had he told a couple of do- stories about <laughs> David Bowie, and one yeah. of the stories was something along the lines of how he, he was, met him. Yeah, he was hanging out with him, and that uh, he yeah. ended up. Uh, I I actually had a chance to to um um like certify that story yeah, yeah, yeah. when I met David Bowie yeah, so, with Glenn. So tell the whole story. So that happened in the times of Studio 54 back in New York, I think. Yes, New York, very so much so. So Glenn, Glenn, Glenn used to be a makeup artist for the stars in, in those times. And, well, he told us a story how he met David Bowie. And the story was that first he snorted cocaine out of his leather pants and then he sucked his cock. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, yeah. Whatever. And actually, two or three years later, um, that was like probably three, four years ago, mm. just like maybe two years before David Bowie died, mm. um, I met him in Bali. Yeah, because uh, he had a place not that far away yeah, from, from, from Glenn's. Glenn's place and yeah. from... And from our place, yeah. From our place now, yeah. Yeah, we share... Villa Blue Skies Villa Blue and Skies. Villa Blue yeah. Skies too. If you want to rent uh, an amazing fucking villa in Bali, this is the commercial break. <laughs> villa Blue Skies and Villa Blue Skies too in Changu, C A N G G U in Batubalong in Bali. You're gonna want to rent these places because they're amazing. Just down the road from where David Bowie used to live. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So, um, you know, usually I would rent a place in Bali before we had our own place. Or I would stay with Glenn's. Mm. And and at one time, I was staying in another place. And I would just, uh, Glenn, you know, I would, if I would pass his house, I would stop by, you know, to say mm. hi and, you know, hang out a little bit. And I came there and David Bowie was there and they were talking <laughs> and everything. And I was like, oh, shit, this is not happening. <laughs> and, and then we talked for a little bit and I was practically hypnotized with this guy's voice. Very, yeah. very deep voice and this... One gray, one blue eye. It's fucking and, David, and, and that's like, Ziggy Stardust. Like piercing, really piercing look, you know. All right. I, I felt like the Spock is <laughs> right. looking at me, you know, from the Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> and and then at one point, Glenn goes like, "Oh, you know, David, uh, Goras doesn't doesn't believe me of the story how we met, you know." And David goes, "Oh, you mean the letter pants and the coke and the blowjob?" And I was like, "Okay, it really happened. <laughs> awesome." <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. He wasn't he wasn't lying. Uh, basically, Glenn doesn't lie. And sometimes he just adds up a notch. He spices it up. Yeah, a little he spices bit. it up a little bit, but you know. He yeah. is an amazing storyteller. Now, for those that uh, um, that uh, have listened to this and you think we're full of shit, we're totally not. Uh, <laughs> he did used to work as a, a makeup artist back in the day, and uh, now actually designs his own custom leather bags. He does all this from Bali. I don't actually know the name of the company that he works G. A. for. GA bags. GA bags. Yeah, Glenn Arthur bags. Ridiculously badass bags. Super crazy designs. You got to check them out. Um, they really are super cool. Uh, he would get a kick out of it as well. Uh, and he honestly is a super crazy humanitarian as well. He takes kids all around the world and helps educate them and take good care of them. And, and yeah. he's just a spectacular. He sponsors. He sponsors uh, two two um, shelters. Yeah. yeah. Um, orphans. Orphanages. Yep. Uh, yep. Or- orphanage. Orphanages. Yeah. 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 He sponsors well, two of those. 
and couple of dog. Well, he dog sponsors he sponsors the dog shelters, and he's part of the big movement to vaccinating all the the Bali the, dogs. The Bali so, dogs, for yeah. those of you that have not been to Bali, um, Bali dogs are everywhere. The dogs free roam all over the place, and they're they're fed by uh, all the the local people that live there, and and the tourists as well. Uh, and they're very very well taken care of, and the, they're actually vaccinated. So, even though they're they're basically feral dogs, they're still all very. Uh, friendly Bali dogs, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're world famous specifically for that. And Glenn was the spearhead uh, uh, for helping take care of them as well as take care of the kids. So again, uh, yeah, it's, check out his bags, check yeah. out his stuff. He's... His, his, he's a pretty rich guy. So once a year he rents uh, a charter airplane and he takes like 150, 160 kids yep. for a couple of days trip to somewhere. Yep. Yep. No, no, he's fantastic. So that's yeah, that's how actually you and I from that trip, that's where we ended up becoming pretty close friends. Yeah. And and uh, in the interim, and since then, over uh, quite a few years of trips to Bali now, yep. uh, you and myself and Junior and a few other amazing folks have actually ended up getting the villas that we've got uh, that we rent out because we just fell in love with the place. I mean, yeah, it's a, Bali kind of connects people. You know, it's it's like I've never met a really bad person in Bali. No. I don't know. I mean, probably they are there, but, you know, it just kind of, Bali, they say it's an island of the guts, mm. and it has a special vibe and special energy, and I think it connects people with the same kind of vibe or energy. It does. I just, in, in all of the 11 years that I've been going there, I never had bad experience no. with a person or something. Well, I got mugged last year though <laughs> well <laughs> i hate to say it uh, you know my the downside to to bali is that the negatives that i see are not born there they're imported uh so most of the bad stuff that's happening is being brought about because the tourism is just overrunning the place you know it's, it's yeah so there's a lot of there's a lot of people coming from other asian countries or from other indonesian islands you know bali bali is mostly hindu island uh hindu and indonesia is a muslim country yep um so Bali has a totally different kind of vibe than other, I don't know, 3,000 something islands in mm. Indonesia. And, and yeah, because of the really big boom of tourism in Bali in the last, I think it started after the Eat, Pray, Love with Julia Roberts. Sure, of course, of course. That kind of started it. Um, before there were just surfers going there, mostly sure. from Australia because it's just four hour flight. And and then it kind of started with, with a big tourist boom. Sure. After that movie. Well, and even in the uh, the relatively short period of time that I've been going there, which is what five years now. Oh, it um, doubled. Oh my goodness! You know, yeah. Changu, where our places our places are, is just it's quadrupled in in its business. It's so busy, and so of course everybody's looking for the next town down and the next quiet place that they can go to. And yeah. but I mean, it, it's it's turned out to be an amazing place to go hang out. But spectacular food all over the place oh, super yeah. healthy food i can't <laughs> food is you show up in in changu and and uh you drop 10 kg just thinking about the food you're going to eating because it's ridiculously healthy and you're active all the time and that's where i learned how to surf with your help as a matter of fact <laughs> yeah surf badly that's also and this is this is a fucked up story with you so <laughs> You had been surfing, and I forget exactly what happened, but you ended up taking a fin to the back of your calf. Yeah. Um, so you had a nice little yeah, a fucking gash. Fucking Russian guy fucking destroyed fucking Russians, me. Fucking Russians, damn he it. dropped in my wave, and 
You know how those Eastern Europeans are fucking assholes. <laughs> I do. I do. So he, he rakes you and you end up having to, you're getting out of the water and we were all on the beach at the time and you got blood running down the back of your calf and you've got a nice little gash on the back of your calf and you're going to have to uh, go yeah, get it stitched up. It's these six stitches, yeah. Yeah. So you go to the doctor in Bali, which for in every American listening out there, <laughs> wait, you're going to a doctor in a third world country? It is a little scary. I'm not going to lie. So he goes to the doctor and he gets his stitches. And when he comes back, everybody's asking how he is. And, and, so- and, and the doctor asked me if I want to, if I want anesthesia. Yeah. And I said, no. Yeah. So you're because, telling me- Because stitches just cost me like two and a half dollars and he wanted $200 for anesthesia. And yeah. I'm like, for six stitches? Yeah. No, man. So, I'm not going to take it. So you tell him, no, I'm not going to take it. I don't, I don't want any, I don't want you to numb it up. I'm just going to take the stitches. Now, of course, all I'm thinking is fucking Eastern European hard-ass <laughs> motherfuckers. Why would he not do that? Now, cut to about I guess I'm not quite a month later. Uh, yeah, not even three yeah, weeks maybe later. Maybe three maybe. weeks later, I end up taking one on the head and I get shoved all the way down into the um, the reef and I end up with a huge gash on my knee. Um, and it's proper. You know, I'm bleeding all over the place. I hop out of the water and I've got blood just gushing down. Everybody else is freaking out and you're just kind of looking at me going, yeah, you better go get that stitched up. <laughs> and so I go and I get on my scooter and before, before I leave, you make sure and take one last dig. You're like, you're not going to get that anesthesia stuff, are you? <laughs> As I'm yeah. leaving. So I'm like, fuck, no, I'm not. And, and, and of course the entire time I'm on the scooter bleeding excessively thinking, fuck Nitka, that mother, I can't fucking, why would he say that? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. So I'm I'm halfway to the doctor's office. Now, mind you, I'm on a scooter in a pair of board shorts, still dripping wet out of the ocean. I have no shirt on. I have no helmet, which is totally illegal in Bali. And I've got to drive through one of the busiest areas. And I come to the corner that is famous for where the police just pull over idiots like me that are riding around without a helmet on. And I point to my knee. This cop takes one look at the blood gushing down my leg, turns white, and just points me the fuck away. He's like, go. <laughs> so I go to where I think the doctor is that you told me to go to, but it, directions are difficult in that place. Oh, yeah. It's, to say the least. It, and there's it, a pharmacy and a doctor's office on every other corner. It's very confusing. Yeah. So I finally end up pulling into some place and I walk in and by now I'm starting to get a little, you know, woozy because I've been bleeding <laughs> for a while. And I point to my leg and, and uh, the nurse says, okay, here we go. And so they take me inside and they're getting ready to give me the, the local to numb the up my leg. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> You sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. And the entire time, all I'm thinking is fucking Nitka. God damn it. (laughs) But I managed to pull out my iPhone and start hitting record. And I'm sitting up as they try and put the first stitch in. But it was the dullest needle in the history of needles. (laughs) She was literally grabbing the skin with the, the clamps and trying to push this needle through just one flap of the skin as hard as she could. Meanwhile, I'm slowly reclining on the table and turning whiter <laughs> and whiter and trying to film, but now I'm not looking at the camera anymore. I'm just holding it where I think it's going to be. And it was supposed to be about six stitches as well, but by the time they finally finished getting these stitches jammed through the skin that they didn't bother to clean up, I am laying flat down trying to film this thing and I'm begging them for water. So yeah, that was that was my extreme Bali surfing thing. Uh, all because of you. Yeah, no, fuck. Don't don't bother getting any anesthetic. For for anybody listening, get the fucking anesthetic. Well, dude, you know how much 
pay the money. Let them know. Oh, it's two hundred dollars. Yeah, it's worth every you penny. Can live, <laughs> you can live for that money in Bali for a month. Yeah, worth every penny. I should have fucking done <laughs> no, it. And then on top and of then it, to get all... this money back from your insurance company, it takes you hundred fifty emails course. and calls and whatever. It's so what well, the fuck butter. You on know? top of it all. The, the you stitches just squeeze that, your teeth for five minutes and you're well, done. The and... stitches that I got ended up fucking shredding out of my leg because they were so poorly done. <laughs> so That's true. Yeah. So, I, could, I could do it better with my rumble knife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, a regular needle and thread would have been better than that. It was, it was absolutely horrible. But it makes for a good story and who wants to die without scars? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, yeah. So chicks, you, chicks dig scars. Chicks dig scars. Know, what yeah. is it? Uh, um, uh, pain is temporary, glorious forever. Chicks dig scars. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I assume that's true. You so. know, one of the sexiest scenes, movie scenes, is um, what was the the movie from the Mel Gibson? The the when they go with this other chick police officer comparing oh, yeah, scars. Yeah, 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 that was one of the yeah, uh, who has the better scars. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, fuck. What was that? Was one of the uh, uh, the gun something? Naked? No, no, not naked. No. Gun. Oh man, I'm blanking out on it. Yeah, I can't remember. Right now, that. people are losing their shit because they know the name of it. <laughs> but no, I yeah, 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 it's the the big the uh, what made Mel Gibson basically famous. Yeah, it was like a three or four yeah, yeah, uh, movies. Yeah, whatever those were. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. All right, so you do all of this stuff. Um, you became a skydiver. You became a championship uh, style and accuracy guy, a coach, a working skydiver now, chucking drugs and shooting videos and doing all this stuff and doing yeah. quite well for yourself, uh, as well as an entrepreneur with me in Bali uh, and uh, um, uh, you know working towards that kind of stuff, an active surfer and all this. So what's next for you? Like what do you, what do you think comes next? Is it going to be chucking a bunch of drugs until you end up on the beach retired with me? Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, kind of. It's going that way. Retiring at the beach with a surf, you know, colored in I don't know, kind of a rasta right. rasta colors. Right, right. You know. Yeah, let your hair down a little let bit. Let my hair grow. You we, can't do that anymore. I still can. <laughs> you know, I can't do that anymore. Well, I can. I just can't seem to manage to I do can, it on the I back can. of my head. I can I can grow some dreadlocks or something, but but no, um, yeah, kind of settling down in some nice warm environment close to the ocean, close to the surf. Still, probably you know, skydiving is part of my life. So sure. At least traveling somewhere for a skydive, you sure. know, sure. here and then. But yeah, in probably two three years. Nice. Wrap it I up think, a little bit. I think it's gonna be enough of 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 doing this professionally. Like I, st- I stopped competing seven years ago, and it was over the night decision. One, one day we were at, at our drop zone. Yeah. Um, and the weather was bad, so we couldn't skydive, we couldn't train. So I basically killed everyone in Call of Duty already, and then I was like, "What the fuck I'm doing here?" Yeah. And then I was thinking for five minutes, and I was like, "Okay, let's hit the gym." And I hit the gym, and I came back, and I killed another twenty people on the Call of Duty. On a bad weather day, <laughs> <laughs> and then it just hit me. You know, I was just like, "Fuck!" Yeah. You know. Oh I, yeah. I have enough. You know? That's kind of where I I'm hit like, as well. I, I was like 39, 40 Yeah. At that time. Yeah. 
Uh, for those who don't know me, I look way younger, you know. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, I, had to, I had to say that, Jesus you know, just for this. Jesus Christ. But <laughs> both you and I are pretty fucking gray around uh, the edges now. Oh, yeah. We're like two silver foxes sitting in this Sitting in a toilet, yeah. <laughs> sitting in a toilet telling stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and, you know, I just, um, I, I just kind of had a quick thought about it and i said well you know i have enough of those trainings and sure. traveling around i mean i'm super grateful i've seen the whole world basically going mm. for for competitions and training and everything but at that point it was just enough sure so i just wrote my resignation letter and i handed in the next day sure and i did and i didn't know what the fuck i'm gonna do i didn't know anything mm. so I had a 30 days um, resignation period mm. and in those 30 days, I still didn't know what I'm going to do. Right. And then just four days before that, I said, okay, so I don't know what I'm going to do. So, you know, I went online, I, I made a e-visa for Australia mm. and I went to Australia to surf. And then um, a friend of a friend told me, hey, this guy is opening a drop zone somewhere in Australia mm. and he needs experienced guy to help him. And I was kind of helping running drop zone back home. And, you know, I had a lot of experience with logistics and organizing and things like that from the military and from the civilian sphere. And I went there and I worked for the guy for a while. And then, um, I was, I was applying for Australian work visa and resident visa. And mm. then I got a call that some team wants me to coach wow. because they knew that I was assistant coach back home already, competitor and assistant coach and doing with juniors and things like that. Sure. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take that offer. You know, it's going to be a challenge. Sure. And that's, that's how we met basically because yeah. I came to the drops well, and, and you were flying it. And it's kind of cool to transition from the, um, you know, in the trenches to, to teaching people and, and, uh, guiding people, you know, I mean, um, yeah. It's it's a neat transition. It really is, and it, it's just I find it I find it hard because you know how I was brought up and where I was brought up. Sure. Um, people sometimes think, "Fuck, this guy is super tough," but no, that's just how I was brought up, and you know I speak like this. You know, See, I said that's sit down. That's I said sit down. I don't. I'm not fucking angry. I just said to sit down nicely. You know, exactly. and I said I said sit down, please, and people think that I'm fucking yelling. It's, it's, no, dude. It's, <laughs> well, it's broad. It, it's you know? the I'm accent. A nice guy. It's the accent. That's it. Well, and again, that's that's where my opinion changed of you uh, in Bali big time because I got to see the nice guy. And yes, he's boisterous and loud and over the top, but in a very good way. And then if you had asked me out of out of these ten people, and Glenn being one of them, who is he going to be close friends with? Glenn would have been the last person that I would have picked. Now I'm <laughs> I'm from the Bay Area. I'm from San Francisco, so yeah. Glenn to me is not an unusual thing. Glenn is just I, I don't I wouldn't even think twice. But I would not pick Glenn, an Eastern Bloc tough guy, as super close friends. So instantly, in my opinion, changed instantly, which in a very, very positive way. You know, it was yeah. it was fantastic, and and that's I think where you and I actually started really becoming good friends because I'm like, oh, he's not that guy. Okay, he's not he's not the prick that I thought he was. He's still a fucking prick, <laughs> but he's yeah, not that. You no, know, it's like judging book by the cover. You know, of it, it's kind of cliche, but it's of course many times 
people, I, I get it from many people, you know. Well, of course. Especially when you start to talk and open up a little bit, you know. If if we just talk professionally and you know I just met you, I'm not gonna tell you about myself. Of course, just, of course. You know, of course. In the first five minutes. Well, and but I don't mind if you show interest and and have a decent talk. Of course. You know, you know me. I'm very straightforward. I'm very direct. <laughs> yeah. um, too much for many people. Fuck them. But yeah, but you know, I'm always for a nice. Meaningful talk, sure. Deep well, talk, and and you, know, you fell victim. Like that, you fell victim to my very American mentality when it comes to Eastern Bloc, because for a lot of Americans like me, long ago, Eastern Bloc means Russian. That's yeah, it. Yeah, and and that's in true. in an American mentality, Russian means Ivan Drago, who's going out to beat <laughs> Rocky up. That's 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 it in a nutshell. You know, the Russians want to bomb us, and the Russians want to do this and that and the other thing. And then yeah. you get out into the real world, and you realize a Eastern Bloc people aren't all Russian, and uh, b even if they are Russian, there's some really fucking cool Russian people out there. That, that was all politics, you know. Of course it is. But H- how I was brought when I was watching Western movie, I was okay. I was always like, fuck this fuck. John Wayne, you know, I was always cheering for Indians. <laughs> Kill those fucking cowboys. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Why is I, I wasn't happy when cowboys were shooting Indians, yeah. you know. I was always cheering yeah, for the Indians yeah. because, you know. Sure. When it's because fu- fucking kill Americans. Of course. You know, that's, yeah. you know, Absolutely. That's how we were brainwashed, man. It's, 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 same thing with us. Yeah. Same thing with us, yeah. which is why it's so cool to get out in the real world and realize, oh, Actually, there's some really fucking cool people out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, um, again, uh, being an American, you wouldn't expect uh, Eastern blocker Russians to have a good sense of humor. But the fact of the matter is <laughs> they have a great sense of humor. It's just uh, very difficult at first for Americans to, to, <laughs> to figure it out. You know, I mean, it's it, it takes a while. Yeah, you know? but you know what? Humor at many times is connected to intelligence sure. or, or broad horizons. And I think when it comes to education and things like that eastern europe is way ahead of common americans or or average american average eastern european guy is still is still better educated than average american well certainly in regard to the rest of the world or even to america one of my first experiences in chicago many many years ago at the party was i destroyed a chick who was acting very, very badly to me when I told her that I'm from Slovenia, which mm. was part of Yugoslavia, which was part of, which was a communist country, sure. socialist country. <laughs> and, 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 and then, and then she went like, you know, she was super interested in me, but when I told her where I'm from, suddenly it was over. And I was like, what, you think you're more than, more than me or something? And she was like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I started to ask her questions about, civil war in america about the presidents sure. how many how many um republics is in, sure. in america which one was the last one that joined and things like that oh, yeah. i knew more about fucking american history than she knew and she was college educated and 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 she was from the higher oh yeah i hate know, to she say was it from the very very rich chicago family i hate to say it but and i was like okay now you know, you look hot, but you're too stupid for me to fuck you. <laughs> like, I, I I hate to say it, but if you were to give quite a few Americans the exact same test that you have to take as an immigrant trying to earn citizenship, they probably wouldn't pass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. For sure. Which is yeah. unfortunate. All now, the- that being said, you get the Americans that are well-traveled, and I like to... Uh, 
I've said it before, I naturally give skydivers a lot more credit than I give a lot of other people because a lot of skydivers are either very well-traveled or, or they know people that travel. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. even for American skydivers that have never been able to go out of the States to jump, they know jumpers from everywhere. Yeah, so, from every... Someone else opened their horizons. Absolutely. And yeah. so they've learned a lot more than the average American that's never been anywhere and not really met anybody from other places. So it's in that, it's I think skydiving is an amazing way to broaden somebody's horizons, even in your own backyard, which is pretty amazing yeah uh, about this you know um skydiving kind of you know i was in professional skydiving which is totally different than most of the guys who's going to listen to this interview know sure. about you know sure that's how like in the drop zone where i work now some you know i was i was professional athlete mm. i came to the drop zone i did i don't know six eight ten twelve jumps i went home i went to the gym for two hours and then I watched my videos from that training and I went to sleep and next day sure. I did the same. It's your whole life. Five days a week, yeah. you know? And, you know, whenever we had occasional beer after if someone had a, like a round number, you know, 2,000, 5, 10, sure. 15,000 of jumps, we had a beer later. But there was no other substances. Right. And right. there was... Now that I know that, you know, it's kind of like comparing skydiver's lifestyle to a surfer lifestyle, kind of hippie lifestyle or hipster, whatever nowadays it's called. Sure. You know, that was not my lifestyle, even though I was skydiver my whole life, basically half of my life. Yeah, yeah. But I never knew those things, you know, going behind the hangar to have a joint or do this or that. I never did that, you know, in my life. Yeah, yours was much more regimented. So, so yeah, you know, I was professional athlete. That was yep. my that was my job, you know. And, and well, and again, I took uh, it seriously, and and you know, but it gave me opportunity being employed by military. I left military after 19 years being there as a captain, mm. rank captain. I did uh, officers academy. Uh, before that, it gave me opportunity on all the travelings and trainings and everything i studied a lot so i finished two universities mm. sports science and economic management mm. uh, most of the people don't know about that sure. you know, they just see <laughs> my my rough angry russian <laughs> covered ex- in tattoos ex- ex- and exterior yep and you know they don't they don't know about my education or my open mind or whatever sure. but you know if you don't show interest i'm not gonna show you and well, i'm gonna tell you no, that's that's, how that's it is, one you know? of the funnest things about the sport and that's turned out to be probably the funnest thing about this podcast is i get people in here that you have certain expectations or certain preconceived notions about what you're going to learn about this person and what you think they're going to be about and yeah. then they just turn it up on its head uh, <laughs> i think the the episode that's airing as you and i are, are recording this one is uh, uh with a guy by the name of brian casterly and if you look at his pictures he is covered in tattoos he has a massive beard and i believe the picture that i used to promote the episode he is wearing tights and a rainbow colored tutu um and a one piece Um, but you speak to him and he's extremely well spoken very intelligent uh gentleman and he's a sunday school teacher (laughs) but you would never know never know this guy and so that's probably been the funnest thing with this podcast is you talk to people that you think you know about and find out all these different things which is just fucking cool 
You know, yeah. it, it really is. So now usually when I wrap up the podcast, I always ask somebody, um, what kind of advice would you give to people that are just getting ready to start out in the sport or people that think they might be towards the end of their skydiving career because they've just kind of lost that spark? Um, what do you say to either of them? You know, what do you do if you're starting? What do you do if you think it's over? Well, I think it's easier for, for the people that start, you mm. know, just take your own pace. Sure. Don't, don't look too much what other people are doing. You know, that's where, at least for me as an experienced cutover and a coach, you know, people, people want to take two bigger steps and then they fuck up, you know? Mm. Yep. And then they end um, up hurting. They're out of the sport. Yeah. You know, they go, they go to the drop zone and they see all these ninjas I mean, yeah, do whatever you want in a free fall when you're alone or when you're doing it safe, especially if you have a tunnel hours before and sure. you're like fucking ninja in the free fall. But then when the canopy opens, that's usually when shit happens. You sure. Know? Yeah. And that's when it takes experience. And that's me as an accuracy jumper. I know the most yep. about that, about yep. meteorology, weather, winds, canopy piloting, things like that. That's one of the biggest pieces like, of advice that uh, people give on the podcast is especially when it comes to canopy stuff, take your time. Yeah, take if your time. If you're just starting out, don't be in any rush. You got to Take your time and listen. You know how many times in in the drop zones happened to me when I watch people who are really ninjas in the tunnel in a free fall and then they open canopy and it's like 20 20 miles wind and they they open canopy and they fly downwind and then for 2 3 minutes they're trying to <laughs> yeah. come back oh yeah just you know things like that well, you silly know? stuff like that or or uh they're well, ninjas in the what, tunnel what happened a couple of weeks yeah. ago in the states sure the girl landed landing on the freeway landing yeah, on the well, freeway and that's that's and a, like that and that's a huge 150 case of... jumps i think which is not that much but it's not that little as well sure no it's a it's a i mean i hate to say it but it's enough to know it's enough that you should know the hazards of the area that you're flying in oh, and yeah, your own capabilities course. for of sure course. and it's it's a tragedy that it happened and it's unfortunate but yeah, you're right that boils down to um a bad situation and then uh compounded by bad decisions yeah making. so for people that starting i would just say take it easy yeah don't don't do what <laughs> right the, the ninjas do learn from other people's mistakes yeah yeah, yeah. so um, now how about the, how about the burnouts how about the ones that are like all right i think i'm done but they're hanging on um i would just say go to the basics yep go to where you started yep. you know take it easy yeah just how about know? trying something new too well depends on what new is well say uh, uh you know, i was i was kind of unfortunate with those things when I started, you know, when we were kind of my trainings and everything was really kind of like old Russian style, very strict and everything. Right. And our coach, like, you know, I I started to sky surf and, and, and wingsuit flying like almost 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and I had to do it secretly because I knew that my <laughs> classical discipline coach would Have fucking, fucking kill me if he would knew that I'm doing this on the weekend. Right. That I'm driving to Croatia or Italy to do the base jumps or, or, right. or things like that. You know, that was that was kind of like how funny is that? No, no, you know? Prohibidado, yeah. prohibido. <laughs> you know? <laughs> prohibido. Um yeah. So I, I had to hide those things and and I love those things, but I never got good on sure in those things because I couldn't do them sure um enough sure to, to get really comfortable and good, you know? 
For oh. me, my, my drawback into the sport when I hit that burnout phase was um, discovering that uh, there were a lot of things in skydiving that I'm not particularly good at and enjoying the fact <laughs> that, that I wasn't at... that good at it. You uh, know, it was fucking great. And well, I, that's, a, that's, like, that's like the other day when we were flying in a tunnel. Yes, you know? absolutely. So, and, you know... Ninjas can, all over the place, and yeah, you're watching you know, one of the best flyers that they were in one of the best free flight team. Oh yeah, Rob was coaching me one on one, doing sit fly and things like that for first time in my life. Absolutely, and and people were not even excited. Like, okay, old guy is doing pretty pretty decent, you know, sure. learning that. But then when the guy put the maximum speed in the tunnel and, yep. and I pulled the classical style inside um, of the tunnel, everyone went on their feet and oh, yeah. for no, me. Oh, like, we were going yeah, crazy, legend. dude. I was like, what the fuck? That guys? was fantastic. You know, this is nothing for me, you know? I what got about such... the sit fly that I was doing just minutes no, before? Man, no, man, I got, for me. I got Go such a kick yourself. out of that because the sit flying was making us giggle as you're backsliding into the walls and everything. And as <laughs> no, soon as they no, kicked no, up the fan, you go straight in, you, you go straight into the uh, the uh, you know the the um, the, style the style and bam, you're cranking out the turns. And even Rob was losing his shit. Yeah, it was I, fantastic. I mean, that was like totally spontaneous. Yeah, you know, I yeah. never even tried it in a tunnel. That's I, I never I, I didn't. I didn't do style for 10 years. My my last style jump in the air was basically, what was, nine years ago. Nice. 2010 in, Sw- in Switzerland in the military world championship. I end up second in the style. And that was my last style jump. Nice. And then I pulled it off in the tunnel. like two weeks ago <laughs> in a tunnel. Fucking hilarious. And I didn't even consider it. If I fuck up something, it will fucking catapult me into the... <laughs> into the it wall was, it was perfect <laughs> and, uh, but I pulled it out and everyone was on the feet cheering I was like okay guys come oh, it's on this not, is it's nothing like, it's like the stones I on the I was just sit flying and do transi- and I did transitions and everything and no one even moved the muscle yeah no it's it was like watching the, the rolling stones come out on a reunion tour <laughs> look at him go Mick has still got it he's still got it <laughs> he's still got it yeah. uh, well dude I tell you what man uh, uh, good advice and, and definitely fucking um, take your time if if you're if yeah. you're new and and, uh, and go back to, to the basics just, and... just go to the basic appreciate the sport appreciate not the technique and 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 the equipment and things but appreciate that you're out there you're fucking flying yep it's flying you know the 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 quote from the um i don't i don't know it in english i could i could say it half of it in slovenian mm. uh, about the the it's in our drop zone written down. Oh, the, what the touch in the sky. And yeah, no, I yeah. know the quote. I know yeah. the quote. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, and again, you know, there's people out there that are you know, saying it right now going, and, you guys are morons. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and once you fly, you know, exactly. you'll always want to go once back. Once you've tasted flight. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Something like that. So enjoy Guys, it. Guys, you, you're doing something that's not meant to be for humans uh, and, and yeah. we're flying and and with wingsuits and everything is even go closer to the flying not just yeah. falling you know it's actually flying we do something that uh that just appreciate that you're doing something that not everyone that most everyone will never do will never yeah. do and 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 it's it's a freaking dream man. and yep. it's a, it's it's amazing we're not just feeling uh, and everything we're not and just an elite club of human beings we get to do this on a regular yeah, basis just go to the basics not with technique or equipment, but with what you felt when you sure. started. Yeah. Because you were like, shit, man, I just jumped from 13,000 feet. Yep. Who does that? You yeah. know, 100 people around me here in this area, but 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. Everyone drives a car or, or rides a bike or whatever. But, you know, skydiving is something different. Just start it's to special. appreciate it's special. that again, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, basic, and it's basic feelings. It's easy to, to, to get burned out on it, but it's also very easy to get it back as long as you look at it with that mentality. It yeah. really is. Yeah, truly. Yeah. yeah. Man, I'll tell you what, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and shoot the shit. Um, <laughs> we could go into a lot more detail and a lot more fucked up stories, but we'll save that for next time. Around. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. There's a lot of material for. For, for, got, for a sequence yeah yeah we'll have a couple of heavy drinks before we start that one next time around but uh, guys Goraz aka Nitka uh, life by a thread man <laughs> a real pleasure blue skies brother thanks for coming thank you so much take care all right, guys, another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the can. That was a good one as well. Talking with life on a thread, Mr. Nitka. Uh, this uh, podcast is brought to you, as always, in association with Blue Skies Magazine, the greatest magazine in the known universe. Go to blueskiesmag.com. You can go there to subscribe to the magazine. You can order some cool swag. You can get some previously published issues of the magazine. Also, photographers, take those pictures and send them into the magazine. Your shit looks like garbage on Instagram. Get it on the cover of Blue Skies Magazine. Got something to advertise? They're exactly who you're going to want to go to as well. And trust me, if people will read the shit that I write, they're absolutely going to read your cool story. So put pen to paper, get those things written, and send them into the magazine. As for me, I am The Fucking Pilot. You can find me at thefuckingpilot.net. That's where you're going to get all these podcasts, as well as both the books that I've written. That's The Fucking Pilot book, which is the previously published uh, um, articles that I've written for the magazine, as well as The Accidental Stripper. Both of those books are available in both digital and print. And again, I keep promising, but someday it's going to happen, the audiobook version of The Accidental Stripper. Guys, it's been a fantastic time, and we will see you next time around on Lunatic Fringe. Blue Skies.